0: Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another bright day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Chaloner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Nigel Atwood. Nigel is the head teacher at Belfield Junior School, a community-based school based in Birmingham. Nigel, very warm welcome to you today and thank you ever so much for joining us.
1: Hello Scott, thank you for having me.
0: It's a real pleasure, Nigel. Now, the purpose of this discussion, first and foremost, is to establish your take on leadership. So starting off, if we just take that word leader aside for a second and look at that, I'm interested to understand what that word actually means to you and how it resonates on the whole.
1: I think being a leader is somebody who is able to take a vision and to include other people in that vision to guide the team, to motivate and inspire that team. But I think it's also identifying with the team those talents that that make an institution successful.
0: And if we think about sort of your personal leadership style in the people management side of things, how would you describe that?
1: I think you... Uh, personal leadership style is you, you've got to have the belief in yourself that you can lead a team and that you can work with a team. And um, the way I do that is, is I understand that, you know, although I may be the head teacher of the school, I, I don't know everything. And you are surrounded by people who have many talents in a variety of different fields. So you have to engage your team. And when important decisions or changes to the curriculum or behaviour systems are are due, that you, you take your team with you by including them, taking on board their ideas, listening to our ideas, sharing your own ideas and coming to a common ground that you can work on together. Mm.
0: And I think it takes a lot of adaptability and flexibility from a people management perspective, doesn't it, being in a leadership role? Because no one approach necessarily works with every person. You've got to be able to adapt to different personalities, understand what motivates them. And um, those qualities, adaptability and flexibility, are incredibly important as well in the context of the here and now in general with the emergence of COVID-19, of course, and the challenges that that's brought about, particularly within the uh, education sector. Um, As a school. How has it been for you adapting to meet the challenges of the pandemic? I can imagine the challenges have been significant. Uh,
1: the challenges have been very significant. I, I, I don't think I, I and other head teachers I've spoken to uh, were anywhere near prepared for what would be entailed when we first got the announcement on the 18th of March that we were closing and what that could look like. Um, we weren't prepared for how we would need to adapt, how we would have to change our systems, how we would have to engage our staff and our families and our children, completely rethinking how we do things from the remote learning, supporting of parents and families, um, and obviously dealing with all the guidelines and changes to guidelines that we've had on an almost daily basis.
0: And do you think that to date, and also for the future as things begin to reopen again, that that guidance has been clear enough for you?
1: No. Um, We've had uh, a multitude of changes, a multitude of guidance that may come out after we've already started something. So guidance coming out on the 3rd of June when some schools have already opened, wider opening on the 1st of June. We've had guidance sent to us at four o'clock, five o'clock, eight o'clock on a Friday night at the end of half terms. Um, So we've had literally hundreds of slight adjustments, slight changes, slight differences, additional paperwork that we've needed to do that have made it very difficult um, to keep up to date with the guidance, as well as obviously trying to ensure you're doing the best for your school community.
0: And the sector's up against an awful lot because um, I did read um, a few um, weeks ago, actually, that with schools looking to reopen uh, more fully in the September time now, um, it's going to be something like 60% of classroom hours that pupils have missed out on during this year. Um, So is there any inkling of what sort of the short to medium term effect is going to be on the sector and how it's going to be sort of returning in September?
1: Um. I think it's going to be extremely difficult. And I also think it also depends on, on your school, your school's context, uh, where you are in the country, whether you're in an area of deprivation uh, and disadvantage, whether you're in an area of affluence uh, or somewhere in between, what what size of school you've got, um, whether you're secondary or primary. I think there's so many factors that we've discovered all the way through this that no matter how many times you try to adapt to the guidance every single school is completely different and has its own unique issues there are some connectives between us that, that link us together but even in a small you know group of schools I, I work with another seven schools we found that there were some commonalities but actually we couldn't agree exactly what to do next because our schools were so completely different um i've actually read the charter college of Teaching's education in times of crisis the potential implications of school closures to teachers and students um, and although it's got some good research it's still very new research in a lot of ways so it's still it could be this it could be that until we see the children or, or the majority of children that will be coming back in september it's very difficult but we also know we're going to have the full range of children who have had quite a lot of teaching at home we may have even had one-to-one tutors by zoom or, or different things Right up to the other end of the scale, where they, you know, they've had very, very little, if any, teaching, or and, and will have lost a whole six months and, and possibly more because they will have forgotten some of the things that they've mm. learned.
0: And do you think that some of that remote provision, as a feature of the lockdown period, might well end up becoming a permanent part of the way that the sector operates in this country going forward?
1: <clears throat> Again, that that's trying to fit uh, do a one fit all scenario which unfortunately mm. it doesn't we we did quite a lot online to start with and a lot of our work was online um what we found was from discussions with the parents on our weekly phone calls with them was that a lot of parents either were struggling to do the online learning because there may be one particular uh it device in the house maybe one one phone one ipad one laptop and there may be two three four five children in the house So that made it very difficult. They may not have internet at all. So actually, a third of our families wanted to have the teaching resources and what we were supplying on paper, which we've been supplying on a weekly basis. Um, We know that about another third are accessing online and about another third are not accessing anything at all. So it does work, but it only works for quite a small group, Mm. depending, again, on, on your area and your context you're working with.
0: And of course, during this time where we are much more socially isolated, it's really thrust back into the limelight, the importance of issues such as mental health and well-being as well. From a sort of leadership perspective, how important do you think that mental health is, both in terms of looking after your own and also that of colleagues, and in your case, pupils as well?
1: It's been massive. Um, we, we've we obviously had families that are struggling, and we know from Data that we've been provided by um, Birmingham Children's Trust that the the amount of domestic uh, and the police the amount of domestic violence is hugely up in Birmingham. The amount of mental health issues and some of them resulting in self-harm, even in the very youngest children, is up in Birmingham. Um, there are other issues that have, that have come to the fore during this time, and we haven't been able to support that in the normal way. So we've got that to come back in September. So we're trying to prepare our pastoral systems to be ready for that and trying to prepare our our staff, our teachers and our PAs as much as is possible, uh, knowing you're going to be back in a class of 30. Um, There's also the anxieties that have been around staff and their own families. They're also trying to home tutor and do things with their own children. Some of them have got vulnerable uh, family members at home or have been touched by COVID-19 in in different ways. Um, And and then as senior leaders, we are trying to support all that and make sure you've got as many support mechanisms in place as possible, knowing that everybody's trying to get those support mechanisms in place as well.
0: Certainly going to be significant pressure. Um, But during this time, of course, um, it's been a very difficult and a very tragic period, but also a huge and very steep learning curve for businesses, organisations and institutions alike. Is there anything that you can take away from this period that you would say you've learnt over the last few months?
1: Yes, Um worked out that many staff will go above and beyond to support their, the school and their community to wow. deliver food parcels, uh, put things in place to support children and families, not just in our school, but other schools that we have linked with. Um, that they, they will do everything they can to support those kind of situations. It's made us highlight that the importance of teamwork and, and sharing of ideas to put best plans in place and I think it shows that that the education community um, will stick together to do the best things for their children.
0: It's incredibly inspiring what we've seen during this time. It has captured a real sense of national unity in the sense that people are really going above and beyond for their communities and to keep vital services being provided for sure. And as we move into the next year 12 to 18 months and uh, begin to really adapt to the challenges that the new normal will bring just before we wrap things up on the uh, the program I'm interested to understand Nigel what you envision for yourself and the school and what you hope to achieve as a collective
1: I think our priority is and we've been discussing this at at length in school and and with other head teachers our priority is going to be in September that we get the children back, we get them back into school routine, because many will have lost the, the, the school routine within their systems, <clears throat> to get to know the children again, for them to get to know us again, and and to allow them that opportunity to discuss what's happened during the last six months, to share their hopes and fears for the future, to have some chance to uh, discuss those, put forward their opinions, listen to other opinions, but also to just get them back to being in a place where they're ready to learn again. I think we need to spend that time getting them ready to learn as much as we do getting them learning. I don't think it's just about getting learning, I think it's getting them ready to learn is our priority. And once we've done that, that will hopefully relate in them starting to the, the process of be able to catch up anything that they've missed. Mm. Because obviously our ambition, knowing that's going to be quite difficult, knowing the range of, of, of differences in their abilities might have grown considerably, but we don't know what that's going to look like till we get them back. So the first two or three weeks is getting to know our children again, then adapting to what our children need, getting them ready to learn, and then making sure they're learning to the best of their potential, as we've, as we've always done.
0: It's certainly going to be a time of real challenge and a time of real pressure, um, as- the education sector gets to grips with these uh, particular issues. And I think, given how informative it's been discussing these very problems with yourself today, Nigel, it would be great to actually catch up and have you back on the programme with us at some point in the next year, just to gauge how you're getting on in, gr- in grappling with those uh, particular challenges.
1: Yeah, that's great.
2: Yeah,
0: no problem. I think it would be fantastic because it's been a real, real pleasure having you join us on the uh, the program today. It's a shame we are thank just you. about out of time uh, because we could discuss this long into the afternoon, I'm sure. Um, but I really enjoyed it, uh, Nigel. So thank you once again for joining us, and most importantly, until we do speak again in future, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on because there are still a great many variables and there are plenty of times for things to change with COVID nineteen. We're certainly not out of the woods yet. I think it's fair to say. No,
1: no, and uh, hopefully we will get the. Support- Support that we need from the government that we're 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 crossing fingers for because um, at the moment we're not sure we're getting the support we need. But we do need that support to make sure the schools are allowed to do the right things for their children.
0: Let's certainly hope so. And for those people tuning into this and listening, do continue to be sensible, look after yourselves, and stay safe, and stay home where you can, because it does make a huge difference in keeping people out of hospital and saving lives. I was speaking there to Nigel Atwood, head teacher at Belfield Junior School in Birmingham. Coming up next on the programme today, I'll be handing over to Matthew O'Neill for his exclusive interview with former Education Secretary Lord Blunkett. Lord Blunkett is today an Active Member of the House of Lords, a former Labour MP and Secretary of State, and Chairman of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Now, despite being blind from birth, Lord Blunkett became one of the most prominent politicians of his generation, holding various senior positions in the Cabinet of then Prime Minister Tony Blair and serving as the MP for his Sheffield, Brightside, and Hillsborough constituency for 28 years. He was elevated to the House of Lords in August 2015 as Baron Blunkett of Brightside and Hillsborough. And I hope that you enjoy listening just as much as Matthew relished the opportunity to speak with him. That is coming up next. Lord Blunkett, welcome.
2: Thank you very much. It's very good to be with you.
3: Um, Well, of course, uh, nothing is being said uh, at the moment other than COVID-19, which uh, we must touch on. Um, What would your message be to small businesses who are trying to keep going?
2: Well, I think the last ones standing will be the ones that thrive when we get back to some sort of normality. So it's have confidence and courage. Obviously, take advantage as far as you can of the government help. I think that Rishi Sunak, the chancellor, has gone about as far as you could have expected Mm -hmm. in the circumstances. There are obviously small businesses that fall between the cracks. Those who uh, don't have um, defined premises can't benefit from the business rate waiver, uh, have not really been able to demonstrate that they can uh, adhere to the PAYE for furloughing staff, and of course, whether they can receive the the grant, 10,000 or 25,000, all all of those who can, uh, are obviously able at least to benefit from that for the time being, and look to the future. But I think the second thing to say, and they don't need me to tell them this as a politician who who did once do a business studies qualification, which is that it will be a different world. And being able mm. to think about how that world will look in a year's time and be creative about it and learn from not just what's happening to you at this moment in time, but to others around you and the sector that you're working in, that will be really important.
3: Do you feel that the long-term uh, effects of uh, the COVID-19 outbreak and you're absolutely right in a in a liberal uh democracy that we live in it's it's very difficult for people to swallow orders given to them from government um,
2: well the the u k and um and the u s and to some extent uh, the Scandinavian countries have a very different hi- interest uh, history and and therefore interest in maintaining the freedom to decide and the persuasion and mm. consent that's required. has gone over the top, and that in itself is a constraint and uh, a readjustment. That's another strength of um, living in a country where you can have opinions and express them without actually being thought to be a fool.